Good evening. Welcome to Tom's World Language Cafe, coming to you live from Fishers, Indiana. It's July 30th, almost 9 o'clock at night uh, on a Thursday night. It's uh, been a rainy day in Indy. We're just kind of uh, bumbling around here trying to survive COVID, and uh, everybody is um, pretty upbeat, and uh, we have a special guest for you tonight. I would like first to thank the Apple Corporation for sponsoring the Apple Podcast and invite all of the listeners to subscribe to the show. You can subscribe, and if you uh, go to uh, do a Google search under Tom Alsop's World Language Cafe Apple Podcast, you'll be able to there subscribe to the show. Um, tonight we have a very special guest, a person that uh, I'm very, very uh, familiar with, uh, and it happens to be one of my ex-students uh, at Ben Davis High School, and uh, I'm proud to have him on the show tonight, and his name is Kevin Munoz, and good evening, Kevin, how are you? Hi, Tom, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. Kevin is located somewhere on the north side, not too far from here, and uh so we're not terribly far apart. We're actually Zooming tonight. We're in the Zoom room, and uh, we're doing the audio recording here for the show. Uh, Kevin, how about uh, telling the audience a little bit about yourself and where you were born and your heritage? Uh, and um, Kevin, with the name Munoz, as you can imagine, is, uh, is a, a Latin American, and he's going to tell you a little bit about his background. Uh, yeah, thanks, Tom. Uh, thanks for having me on your show. I've been looking forward to coming and speaking. Uh, you were one of the most influential teachers I had, um, and I wanted to thank you for uh, working hard with me and uh, perfecting Spanish and uh, and actually believing in me the way you did uh, and, uh, you know, pushing me really hard to go to the next level uh, because uh, it was really important, and, and who would have known and who would have thought you know, that it would be so important in my life and career. I was born in Los Angeles, California. I was born in an ambulance on Sunset Boulevard. <laughs> and uh, uh, basically, my dad had to, call the, had to call the ambulance, and I just couldn't wait to come out. But uh, uh, I grew up the first part of my childhood in Los Angeles, went to Los Angeles Unified School District. Um, you know, and I was surrounded by a lot of diversity, and uh, my dad was from Peru. He was born in Arequipa, and his family moved to Lima. Um, my grandmother, um, she was from Tarapacá, which is a border, is a border uh, city with Chile. And um, when she was a child, uh, the Chilean government had seized that area. And so uh, her family had to make a decision to repatriate uh, and they went to Lima. And so um, I have some family in Chile. I have some family from uh, Lima. Uh, some, very few remain in Peru. Uh, but my mother, on my mother's side, uh, and this is, I think, uh, a, an odd mix for the, the era, but uh, she was from a small town in Indianapolis called Mars Hill. And way before there was any diversity in Indianapolis, which is becoming more and more diverse, uh, even since I arrived in the 90s. And uh, we moved from Los Angeles to Indianapolis, and that was a culture shock. And that was the first time I, I uh, learned 
I guess, appreciate, you know, being surrounded by such diversity because most of the kids that I associated with were from all over the world and first generation, uh, first generation um, um, United States Americans. And so I had friends whose parents were from Israel. I had friends whose parents were from Pakistan. I had friends whose parents were from Mexico, Peru, and Puerto Rico, and even Asian countries like Vietnam. And, and there was just such a diversity. I, we started in Los Angeles and then went to the Valley. And still with all that and everything going on in, in California in the 80s uh, with the, uh, the gang wars, the Bloods and Crips, and, and then all of the uh, Chicano gangs and... and I feel more Chicano uh, than I do Peruvian, and I did for a long time uh, because that's what I was familiar with in Los Angeles and attracted to a lot of that culture. Um, and so when we came here, it was a culture shock, and and it forced me to have to dig deeper and 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 and, and, and wrestle with identity. But that's a uh, that's my I guess my heritage, if you will. So you graduated from Ben Davis High School, then you went on to Purdue, correct? Yes. Uh, by the flip of a coin, I'm, I'm, I'm one of three uh, boys and uh, no sisters, just all brothers. My, my older brother was the first, uh, first in our family to go to college. Uh, my mother didn't graduate high school. She actually uh, ran off to start her family in Los Angeles, married my dad. It was kind of a... Um, an interesting backstory there, but I went to Purdue because my brother had gone to Purdue and my father didn't really give us a choice about whether we were going to go to college or not. It wasn't whether we were going to go to college, it was um, which college were you going to go to. I, I was accepted to uh, IU, Purdue, the only two uh, schools that I applied to uh, because being from Indiana, Indiana and you know those, those being public universities of, of repute. So I flipped the coin and I ended up following my brother. Mm-hmm. And but so, I have a transcript from Notre Dame, and, and, then, I have, and then of course mm-hmm. law school after that. So that was the IU transcript. So I have all the three big schools here. <laughs> so and you ended up though uh, you wanted to get into teaching for a while, then you decided that they the requirements were really ex- you felt pretty extreme right at the time, and then you decided to move into law right. Is that what happened? Yeah, so uh, when my dad, you know, I think uh, I'm, I'm very much influenced by my father, and he passed away in 2016, and, and you don't uh, realize how much you're influenced by your parents, maybe, in, and sometimes their message in life is louder in, in death, I, I like to say, uh, uh, but in reflecting on who I am today, I, I, I do give a lot of credit to my, my strict father, who was uh, who raised me with uh, immigrant values, and he uh, thought this was the most blessed country in the world. And he always ha- he he gave me that appreciation for just the hard working hard, and 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 and, and I really wanted uh, didn't really want to go to school. It's almost as if he was forcing me to go to school. And so I was really interested in when I was in school in in the arts and in, and and the liberal arts and English. And you helped me get into poetry. Uh, you know, even at a young age, but I was always into poetry. I was into rap music. I was always writing raps when I was in high school, and 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 I remember, uh, um, you know, having this moment where I knew I had to pick a college, but all my friends were actually not going to college because in the neighborhood I lived in, um, most of the kids were 
weren't interested in college. But, but your I, your dad uh, really had kept you on the straight and narrow, right? With that, he wanted you to go to college, and didn't he? And I remember that and uh, the times that I saw him, and I remember he was really, really. He he set the bar high for you, for you guys, and that was good, right? I mean, he did. I mean, he expected a lot, and you guys delivered. You know, you really did. You know, all three of you. You're two brothers as well, right? Yeah, he he, he always uh, emphasized family and 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 the importance of having family, holding family is sacred. And so, I guess you could say I was I was indoctrinated young, you know, and so I I had to value his. Um, his advice more than those, uh, and that went all the that went all the way back to Peru, right? The values yeah. of Peru and 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 things like that, right? The and the Latino, of course, the value of the family to the Latino is is huge, right? And uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm so uh, there's a contrast between you know the American culture or uh, you know of my mother, uh, white American. And then, of course, uh, Peru has a history of, of, of really interesting um, uh, relationship between Spain and the indigenous culture. And my dad was always uh, teaching us indigenous culture of Peru. He, um, he taught us the, the, the names of the Inca kings. Um, I don't remember all of them now, but, you know, Tupac was one of them. So I was proud of that. Tupac Ubanqui, you know, uh, Tupac Amaru. And uh, uh, I was really into hip hop, though, and I was sort of a rebel, and I was really into the arts. And uh, I remember making that decision that I was going to either go and join this rap group that I, uh, uh, with these guys that I was very fond of at the time, and I was into graffiti, and and I was always drawing in class. That's what that's when you had taken me to the side and said maybe I should illustrate one of your books because you saw that I was so passionate about uh, graffiti and art and and, um, and poetry. And I remember well that you uh, went to the state Spanish contest and w- w- won a top prize for your poetry recitation. And it was Antonio Machado, correct? The famous right. Spanish like, poet. And what you remember some of the lines? Oh, yeah, of course. I've used it, I've used it many times. It's actually a pretty powerful poem. You, have, you didn't just make me memorize it, but you made me feel it. And what was really interesting was, Tom, that I grew up not a native speaker of Spanish. My dad was of the old school that said, right. you have to speak English. He named us Kevin, Jason, and Alan, which I think is ironic now because um, you know, if you, Kevin is, somehow became a, a popular name in Latin America. I don't know if you knew that, but maybe it was because of the Wonder Years or something. But Because uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, if you, uh, at uh, one time, if you put Kevin Munoz in there, it was, you know, it was, a, it was an odd name, I guess, for someone my age. But now... Kevin is, a, is more of a common name, Kevin, you know, in Spanish. But yeah, my dad was really into the, you know, you don't want to be discriminated. It, it was inevitable that we would be discriminated, but but not so much in L.A. The first time I even experienced discrimination because of my ethnicity was in Indiana. It was very black and white, very segregated. And I remember the first day of school, I was punched in the side of the face by another guy because I was different. And um, I remember just, that just being such a traumatic, like galvanizing moment in my life because I didn't realize that they called me beaner, they called me half-breed, they called me spick, they called me wetback and all these things. And and it was really funny because um, I remember in LA, whenever I would come home and try to emulate the uh, the, uh, the gangs 
of the Chicano culture, which was had its root in Mexican culture, my dad being Peruvian, and they had sort of their own pride in their own culture, and they wanted to make sure they made a distinction between Mexicans and Peruvians. And so I remember him, uh, I remember so vividly one time I came home with a, a, a talking this the Chicano slang, you know, and using words that, that they used, and he, and he looked at me and he, and he said, you're not a Mexican. Don't talk like that in my house. And uh, so uh, he set me straight. So do you know a few of the lines you could tell the listeners from the poem? I was just curious. Oh, yo voy soñando caminos de la tarde, las colinas doradas, los verdes pinos, las polvorientas encinas. ¿A dónde el camino irá? Yo voy cantando, viajero, a lo largo del sendero. La tarde cayendo está, or something like that. And oh, then, well, that's the amazing. Line. You still remember that. That's good. You did a beautiful job with that poem. I still remember that. You made, uh, me, speak, you made me enter the native category, and you kept you had to correct my my my, my little uh, mistake. So you helped me like uh, perfect perfect my accent because because I, I definitely still to this day when I speak Spanish I don't have the native accent. When I go to Latin America, they say, "Are you Italian?" Because they they're confused. <laughs> well, you know the. Uh, and can you tell the listeners too? You just uh, had a new family member, right? Arrive. Yeah, Mercedes Munoz, Mer- Mercy Love uh, Munoz. <laughs> and she, uh, when was she? Mercy Love Young Munoz. When was she born? She was. She it was a pandemic pregnancy. She was born on April eighteenth, two thousand, and she is a miracle. And I'm having the best time of my life right now. Yeah. Okay. So that two thousand twenty, right? Yeah, two thousand twenty. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. So she's. <laughs> Well, that's yeah, that's great, and and your wife's name is what's her what's her name? Uh, Miranda Young. Miranda, Miranda, and uh, now and she's from Indy, Indy, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, now, can you tell the, the listeners a little bit about your job, which really sounds interesting? And I I know Guero has told me about it some, but you do a lot of you have a lot of different hats there, right? That you have to deal with, you know, put on. With your job, right, with the immigrants, you, know, you mentioned that you're you're not, you're called an immigra- immigration lawyer, but something else with that, right? Yeah. So uh, ultimately, after graduating law school, I want I still wanted to uh, pursue teaching. I wanted to uh, become a professor, and so I, I was applying for uh, different jobs with the law school. I was working at the law school. Uh, in law school, I was really interested in the human rights, right? Uh, and and so I did an internship in Latin America. Uh, for the rights of street children, and I really wanted to do something with children because I really enjoyed working uh, working with children, inspiring children. And anyhow, uh, that that kind of led itself with the Obama Obama administration into what I do now, which is uh, I became ultimately a criminal defense attorney and an immigration attorney, and all of it sort of uh, successively and and all by necessity. Uh, the real, the, the funny, funniest part about it is that my dad was very conservative in, in his politics, um, and this is uh, pre-Trump, um, because some people forget that the Republican Party was the Amnesty Party, and I'm not getting political here. I'm just saying that Obama was known affectionately by the immigrant community, at least especially the Dreamers, if you're familiar with them, as the Deporter in Chief, and, and it's because a lot of people don't know he was very focused on Obamacare when he entered, and that um, sort of put immigration on the, 
to the side, and, and at the same time, Immigration Customs Enforcement had a, a new organization and, and a new energy to start deporting people like the machine uh, that uh, that wasn't happening before under the previous administrations. Yeah. And so that created a, a, a really interesting necessity. And my father, who would often, you know, be conservative, he called me on the phone one day. He was he was working as an interpreter, as a retired uh, man, and I was working in, as a teacher at, a, at one of the community colleges in law. And he said, son, you have to help this lady. Here's her brother's getting deported. And he's been here forever. And his mom died of cancer. And he just had a big uh, compassion for her. And I said, dad, I don't practice in that area. And, he's, uh, and he said, you can do it. You can do it. And so... <laughs> I basically had to open up a book and I took that first case and it was incredible because I was able to stop the deportation and uh, was able, and the guy uh, was able to stay here with his family. He had two kids. I remember he was a young man and he was in his thirties and that was sort of the, uh, you know, the, the, the gift that I kept on giving because it was so uh, fulfilling. And so then um, the, the economy created itself because there were so many deportations. In Indianapolis, there were 400 deport, uh, people getting arrested for deportation a, a month. And they were setting records in Indianapolis. And so uh, that was just like left and right. My phone became a cell It was my cell phone. And that became sort of the business that so, grew into it. Yeah. So you're basically then you help the people so they can stay, right? A lot of them. And yeah, we deportation yeah. removal defense. It's called immigration and uh -huh. criminal defense, and so it's where they two intersect. And and it, and it actually is an area. This is not a clever uh, uh, word that I came up with, but it's called crimmigration. Put criminal law and immigrant criminal defense. So and immigration. I had a quick question. So with Obama, the deportations went up. Now have they mm -hmm. stayed the same then with with Trump? About the same or? I think it's different. It, it's, the, they, they were doing, I think, full capacity because they only have so much personnel. So I think that with Obama, he did a 180 sort of midterm, and that's when he announced DACA for the Dreamers. And so then when the DACA uh, was announced, that was a way to get people out of deportation and, mm -hmm. and among other things like prosecutorial discretion. So, so that, that, was, that, that helped. That helped a lot, and then it actually reversed it. So it created a new economy where you're now able to reverse the deportations that started, and it was just a different direction. And, and then so with Trump, it's just like a, a, an about face in the other direction. Okay. So it's almost back to where it was yeah. with, with Obama's stuff. So what do you like best about the job? When, so you're doing two things. You're, you're wearing two hats, right? Criminality, criminal law, and immigration law, right? Yeah. I, I think uh, human rights was my passion in, in, in law school. And I think that it's uh, what I like the most about it, because we, as I already talked about, you know, family was sacred and so important to me. And, 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 and just deportations are separating families. And if you can imagine, you know, children growing up with their parents, their parents are in their home and they're providing for them. And just because of a lack of status, these children are born here or maybe brought here as children, but they're children nonetheless. And so my passion for children's rights is incorporated. A passion for human rights is, is, is fulfilled. And, and, and it's just uh, meaningful when you're able to stop a deportation and keep families together. And that's, what we, that's what we said. keeping families together is my favorite part. Yeah, and I'm sure your dad would be totally proud of you. That would, he, would, uh, he, would, yeah, he, he was. Yeah. He would be totally proud. Uh, so um, if, if we talked about three 
major problems Hispanics have living in Indy? What are some of those problems? Uh, deportation, right? So yeah, I, uh, first I want to say something that that is it might it might not be uh, politically correct, but I uh, but uh, just just so you know, my dad uh, would always be offended when I used the word Hispanic. I would apply for Hispanic scholarships. He'd say, "Son, you're not Hispanic. You're you're Latino." Because of Spain's, uh, you know, uh, history. Yeah. With the, well, with but, but, you know, that, that word has evolved, though, where now it, it refers to every, you know, the whole Spanish-speaking world. And that really is right. what it means. It, 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 it wasn't, I don't think it was meant that way, but it got, I know what you're saying, it got a little twisted. But basically, Hispanic basically meant the Spanish-speaking countries, all of them, you know, all the cultures. Right. And it, right. Yeah, I, I think I think that uh, you, the question is is you know did, what is some of the problems that are facing uh, Latinos, Hispanics, uh, right. Spanish speaking people is what you're saying yes. here in the uh, well I think it's a, it's similar to the, the the problems that faced a lot of uh, a lot of non-white or also language minority just marginalized people right because you have uh, the access to justice and. and being a language minority, whether you're from Africa or, 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 or Hispanic or, or otherwise, um, if, if you don't speak the language, uh, there's going to be so many gaps in in the way you're treated by authorities, by police, by by the government, and so um, not only uh, the status problem, because obviously it's a uh, it's it's not it's not accurate to say that just because you speak Spanish and don't speak English, that you're not a citizen or you're not native to the United States. Or that you're not a resident, so I think uh, maybe just uh, the discrimination, I guess, uh, is. But the is the, la the language itself is a problem, though, right? The English. I mean, for, for many Latinos in the city, you know, that come here, and it, many of them have their deficiencies with English. You know, not their fault. Yeah. I mean, you know, but they haven't been here long, etc. This is a little sidelight, but uh, probably for about eight years, we used to do uh, some of my Butler students. I'd take them over to the Lord's Pantry, and once a week we had English class for three hours at the Lord's Pantry. It's over there in Hallville and West, off of West Michigan, over there. And, I'm familiar. Uh, yeah, and we'd go over there and and we did English classes for for the for the the, the Latinos, but. The problem we had with it, and and they really wanted to learn English, but their their work schedule was so interrupted all the time. They didn't know, you know, their hours would change, and they were they were just very flexible type stuff, and uh, I mean, unflex inflexible. And they so they'd be working, then it, another plant week they didn't have the same hours, and 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 it was it was a tough time for them because uh, they wanted to learn English and they couldn't because. Their workload was different. The hours were different every week. And so they come to class once or twice a month out of, you know, out of four classes. And it really slowed them down, yeah. you know, trying to learn English. And I think, does that still go on, you think, quite a bit, the English problem or not? Absolutely. And in context to what uh, I do, uh, take, for example, the hot button issue of DACA, when, when President Obama announced deferred action for childhood arrivals. Um, one of the requirements was uh, education. And so you had to have a GED uh, uh, or a high school diploma or equivalent. And so a lot of the 
like you said, a lot of the uh, people that, that were undocumented in that sector uh, that were eligible to apply with a, through the other requirements, like age, they had to have arrived you know, at age uh, 15, you know, they had to have been under 16 before a certain date. They had to have five years of continuous presence. They had every requirement, but when they came at 15, sometimes they worked instead of going to school. And so now in order to get a work permit and in order to, to defer the deportation and to be here securely, they had to go back to school, but they ran into the same problem that you're mentioning, but, but because they, they had to work. And so they weren't able to, you know, enroll back in school, and it was a big dilemma, so yeah. Right. Now, is is it not like, from, from the standpoint, when I go over, and I got to know a lot of a lot of Latinos quite well, and but I felt like they were in this invisible society, you know, that they maybe didn't have their papers, a lot of them, and so they, they couldn't report, they couldn't say who they were, it was too dangerous, you know, for, for getting sent back to the country. And so it it was a it was kind of a not win it was a no, no win situation for them. I mean, they didn't really have much of a chance. Uh, is that still going a lot today? You think, or things like that, or is it better? I would say it's hard to it's hard to comment um, in 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 general, right, about uh, the Hispanic right. community here because right. you have uh, different motivations uh, and for for the migration, right. And so different countries, say Honduras, uh, you know, inspires a lot of people to come to Indianapolis um, than the conditions in, say, Mexico, right? And so also you have Nicaragua, you have um, El Salvador. Guatemala, Guatemala. Guatemala, yeah. And in Guatemala, a lot of my clients actually uh, speak Spanish as a second language, and so their first language is Chu or, you know, Nong or mm-hmm. uh, just different dialects and, and even um, uh, some other uh, indigenous languages. And so that is even a bigger problem. I've seen the migration because I came in the 90s, and so when I arrived here, Munoz, was, we were the only Munoz in the phone book, imagine that, and Munoz is like a Smith name, I think, in Spain, yeah, right? Yes. And when I mentioned to people that how how problematic this was in Indianapolis, it was terrible, and uh, it goes back to the '70s and, and maybe uh, I'm trying to remember when the first Mexican restaurant it was out in the East Side. It was over there in West Washington, uh, West uh, East Washington Street, and the guy who owned the restaurant was from Guadalajara. You may have known him. I can't think of his name now, but he owned the El Sol over there and it was one of the first he started in a grocery store over there in the early 70s so the, that was the first time when those people were here though that there was there was hardly any immigration at all you know in the city there was very little and uh, right. so the last 10 years do you think that uh, the the Latinos are, are making good progress I mean do they do you think they their rights, they've had more rights now than they did. Have we seen an improvement in human rights and things? Well, I think that I think that there are, is some improvement. I think improvement comes with education. I think one of the, when you, when, when you say improvement, I think one of the improvements is that we have a lot more population. I don't know the numbers, uh, but I know that there's a, you know, there was a, a surge and an influx of migration from Latin American countries. And so who knows? I always ask people, 
you know, how, how did you come here and why Indiana, right? <laughs> why, would, why would you come to this? Um, and so, you, you know, they tell you their story and everybody has a different story. When I remember back then, it was a lot of people were coming here because of the economy there. Some people was like, uh, they, they just couldn't make a, a, a living wage there. And so their plan was just to come here. I don't know if you remember this. A lot of people, their plan was just to come here and go back. So they wanted to come here, work hard, save. And most people were sending money home uh, to support their family. And we still have a lot of that, the remittances and stuff. Um, and, and some people, that's still their aim. But it's somehow Indiana has a magnet. And so people get stuck here and then they have children and then they become permanent here and they have their roots here. And so uh, I think that the, the improvement is that they've grown in population. So they've created their own communities. You have entrepreneurs. And then you have their first generation children that are now becoming older and so they're actually um, able to, in some cases, you know, help them adjust their status. Because the, for the undocumented immigrant, the, the status problem is huge. You can't get a driver's license in Indiana. That's one problem. And, 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 and how can you get a driver's license? How could you get a job without having a driver's license? Some people call it the licencia de Dios, you know, the, mm -hmm. the, the life of God. But um, and, and, and unfortunately, that's a big part of my economy is, is, is defending people that get that are treated like criminals for something that is essentially a status offense because um, they can't get a license and, and they would otherwise. And, and sometimes if you were brought here as a child, it's even worse because you don't learn that you're undocumented and you, can't, you don't have a social, you can't get a license until you're a teenager uh, or uh, federal aid. And so I think that crisis is what we've witnessed in the yes. last 10 years. It's like the coming of age of the Latin American. Yes. So do you foresee in the next... Congress after the next election where there will be any major overhaul of the immigration laws that we have? You only can be optimistic. You only can be hopeful. Right. Uh, but, I, I, you know, when you're an immigration practitioner and then with this administration and the way the rhetoric has become visceral and just uh, xenophobic, it, 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 it doesn't give you a lot of hope. But at the same time, I think that, that the power in that is it's galvanizing, right? So the, the curse sometimes is the blessing. And so I think that a lot of times when you have a, a clear enemy, not someone who's uh, uh, saying they are on your side and not doing anything, but someone who's saying they're against you, then a lot of the activists come out and a lot of the people will start uh, telling their stories and going public. And then I hope that would uh, gain po uh, popular uh, opinion and hopefully Congress acts. So what it, what are what are your favorite his uh, Latino restaurants in Indy? You must have a lot of favorites. So or do you just have a couple? There used to be a good Peruvian restaurant on the on the west side. Is that still? Well, there's still it's Machu Picchu. I heard it was Mexican owned now, but I still go there because I was going to obviously be biased to Peru. <laughs> Peruvians are very proud of their food, you know. Yeah, tell us about What's the best uh, Peruvian food? What's the one you like the best? My, my favorite Peruvian food is ceviche, ceviche mixto. Uh -huh. I like it very spicy. And I like uh, ají de gallina. So, mm -hmm. if, you know, if you wanted to cook something for me and you're Peruvian and you're listening, that's, those are my go-tos. Okay. Uh, who are your favorite Latino singers these days? Well, um, I'm, 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 I'm sort of old school, and so I think of music as kind of uh, something that is generational, so you kind of get frozen in time, especially with my profession. I mean, I don't get to learn new stuff. Maybe you should teach me some, some new, new people, but I think the, um, 
there's a there's a band that um, is called Tercer Cielo, right? Uh, the Third Heaven. And um, this was a song my dad loved uh, that that we played at his funeral. Um, and um, it's called Yo Te Estrañaré. I recommend it highly. It's, even if you don't speak Spanish, if you listen to it, you can feel it. Right? Yeah, and, for and, you and, people and, listening and who don't know Spanish, that means I will miss you. Yes, Te Estrañaré. Okay. And? So it's, the, it's, it's, it's an emotional song about, uh, you know, missing someone who's passed. And so that I, I listen to that often, and I even listen to it with my newborn daughter, um, remembering my dad when I hold her. And it's a very uh, passionate song. It's a good band. They have a, a good song. I also like, uh, have, you ever, have you heard of the, uh, the group Calle Trece? Uh, it's kind of like a hip-hop. Yes, uh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, they have that song Latino America. Have, mm-hmm. you, have you watched that before? What, what is it? That, they have a song called Latino America. Yes, I have. I've seen Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's a, really, it's a really stunning video and powerful message. Yeah, it's kind of like, a uh, great message video, correct, yeah. So, yeah. Um, I like They have some vulgar songs too, but, but they're pretty uh, conscious. Yeah. So, how about your favorite Latino sports figures? Do you have any sports figures you really like? You know who's getting a lot of attention now? I mean, he's Peruvian descent. Uh, Mas Vidal, he's the MMA fighter. Oh, wow. Yeah, if you haven't checked him out, he lost his last bout because of COVID. Uh, uh-huh. The guy who was supposed to fight uh, actually in, had to tested positive, and so he, in seven days' time, he's from Miami, really, mm-hmm. but he's but he's got Peruvian and Puerto Rican <laughs> blood. But uh, 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 he's he's the one that's fun to watch. Awesome. Everybody loves Masvidal. Ma- Ma- awesome. Uh, now, what about COVID nineteen? Is that affecting your workload and? How you have to deal with her? You have to wear your mask every day, or do you? Yeah, hopefully that because uh, you know we are working with the government, so you know police are, are making forty percent less arrests, maybe even more than that, and in, in the city. So we're not having to respond to people going to jail, uh, and and the courts are closed because of COVID, um, and that's uh, federal courts and state courts, and so. Um, we just are riding the wave, the COVID wave, you know, and we're seeing what happens. But like, uh, you know, one day the the, gov- the courts reopen, but only one person is in, allowed in at a time. And if you can imagine, you know, having a trial like that or having a, an immigration deportation hearing like that, some most of our stuff is on the phone and, and through video. So um, what about your thoughts about Guero Loco? Uh, for the audience listening, Guero Loco is... Uh, uh, ex-student I had, and he's become a rapper of note around the United States uh, in, he, in that he gives shows, motivational shows and, and shows for rapping, learning language, uh, using the lang- uh, learning Spanish, using music and language. And uh, so anyway, he connected with Kevin. How did that work? I can't remember. How did well, you... Yeah, like- yeah, you didn't let me finish the, the, the answer to your other question about my favorite singers. I was going to say, Guero Loco, you know, he's one oh, of my okay. favorite All right, rappers. all right, all right. Yeah, check he, out his video. He's our favorite rapper, too. Yeah, he's got a great video, Rapping Los Verbos, and he has another one called Rapping El Alfabeto. And he has a lot of great songs that he did, you know, in the, when he was rapping pretty much full-time on the rapping. But now he's got more into education with the rapping, you know, which is really nice, you know, that he's... Yeah, my favorite, my favorite Bueno Loco video is when, is with his daughter, you know, it's, I think it's called uh, 
I, I, you should check it out. At, I, I don't know where to find it, but maybe you should message him. He has his daughter in the video, and it's a, it's a bilingual rap. Yeah, I've, 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 seen, seen, I've seen it. Yeah, it's called Do You Feel Me? Okay, yeah. Do, do you, you feel, feel me? me? Yeah, it's a great. Yeah, it, it, he's done a lot. Of, he's done a lot of great stuff, and uh, you know we're just mm-hmm. really proud of him, and especially now that he's getting into education and influencing the students and about yeah, music um, and and positivity and with life and and things. So it's uh, you know he's done an incredible amount of work, and we're really proud of him. I have a quick question here. Uh, what about language? You must have to deal with all different. Uh, accents and uh, and dialects and everything else, right? And with your Spanish, I mean, when you're dealing with your clients, you, you get a good taste of everything, right? Yes, uh, every uh, every uh, Latin American country. I think we've helped <laughs> uh, in immigrate in the past ten years. I've been practicing for ten years. It'll be ten years in uh, in October, and um, so. We do. Who was it that said, if you speak two languages, you, if you yeah, have two languages, that, you have two souls? Was that Nelson Mandela? I can't remember. Maybe, I don't know. Someone I'm not sure if it two, was. You have two souls yes. or something like that. Yeah, it's like but, two souls of being two people, that you're two different, you can be two different people, you know? So, yeah, whoever said that had some insight, because I think I think the language is way more than just speaking, right? It, it, it's, oh. it's, it's, it's a culture, it's heart, it's yeah. spirit values yeah whatever sacred to you i love that what you just said that's beautiful that uh that really puts everything in a capsule right and it is all of the things you just said could you say that again for everybody so we can redo that one oh i i, I mean you have to replay i i, I was going off the <laughs> well there. they can replay it when they listen to it well, uh, I think I, I, what i meant to say was that 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 the language you know there's a universal language that's beyond words right right more than words and, and yes. it's culture and it's and it's and it's uh yes. it's heart it's it's values it's all those things and um it's love really you know and right. i think what i think what uh what is really been beneficial about having mm-hmm. not i don't feel like I, I feel like i speak multiple languages within languages you know just the right. different dialects right. i think that's what you're maybe touching on yeah. so but but one of the things that travel has done for me uh, when I was 17, I went back to Peru uh, for the first time and having, you know, come here to Indiana and that culture shock, uh, you know, from an international city. I, 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 I kind of jokingly say I was deported to, to Indiana, you know, because it's like a different country out there in California. But I think uh, one of the things that having such access to diversity and having spent time in other countries, it does give you a different yes. feeling about the people. And so that's what, yeah, yes. I, I use that regularly. Yeah. So... Listen, I'm afraid that we are about out of our time here with the Zoom room. So um, I want to end this somewhat quickly. So when it cut off, thank you a million, mil gracias, hombre, por estar aquí. Thank you so much for being here tonight. And you were awesome. And I know everybody enjoyed listening and learning about all your things you're doing. Thank you so much for helping everybody out in your life. That's been beautiful. And uh, it was an honor to have you on the program. And uh, I will send you a, a link when this this comes out in a couple of days on the Apple podcast. And I appreciate you being here. And for the listeners, thank you for being with us. And also, uh, in two weeks, we will have Luisa Legrado on the show. Luisa just retired from North Central High School teaching Spanish. We're going to have a special sh- little show 
uh, for her for her retirement after 35 years teaching. Um, thank you so much, Kevin. You're awesome, as you always have been. <laughs> I, yeah, you were you were exceptional as a student, and you still are, and you're just beautiful. And I'm glad that you're able to help so many people. That's wonderful. And uh, thank you so much for being on our show. I really appreciate it. Shout out to Guero Loco, and, and thank you also, uh, Mr. Alsa. All right, Guero, okay, Guero Loco, a shout out for Guero Loco, and uh, uh, un, un abrazo enorme para ti y para tu familia, okay? Uh, we'll have a documentary about how we met and tell that story. We, did, we need to do something. Yeah, you're, you're great. Great talk to you. Thank you for being on the show. Thanks, Doc. Okay, buenas noches, everybody.